This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And uh, we're the best little film podcast in Texas and other states as well, and all, and other countries too. Yeah, truly. We, we're, we have a wide reach. We have, we have a wide net. So we cast a wide net for these films. Um, that we're talking about, but how how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm I am a, a fine. I'm just doing fine, chugging along. Summer. I'm so excited about these summer episodes that we're doing. Uh, we've been getting a lot of great feedback about them. We're uh, the bras are off. We're real loose with these. I feel like I've got the the big ice coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. I, I read uh, one of the reviews that we got recently is that this podcast is funny, but it's for old people who are out of touch because of the way we talked about coffee shops. So um, I'm old and out of touch and ready to go. <laughs> Summer's chugging along. You know, we're having a good time. I I wanted to do like another kind of letterboxed update Ooh. because I have been in this like mood and I've been watching like very specific films for the past like couple months. I have been like on this like 80s action trash kick. And I know we talked a bit about it during the Bloodsport episode, but yeah. this is even like Bloodsport is like a really famous action movie that would be kind of considered cult, right? Because it was a Canon Films movie. I'm talking about stuff that is below the surface, if you know so what I mean. Bloodsport is like a Merchant Ivory film compared to what you've been watching. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and did, did Bloodsport kick off this action trash watching? Or is it just summer? Like, what, what got you into this? Yeah, I, you know, I don't actually remember because it's been going on for a while. Like it's been <laughs> this, I mean, it even kind of was starting in the spring. I think I was literally just like wandering into my local video store, which is called Videodrome. And, you know, just sort of walking over to the section that's like the action movie section. And I was like, oh, what is all this stuff? And so I just started peeling discs off the wall. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to watch a couple of these. So... The first one that I kind of started with <laughs> was this movie called Eye of the Tiger from 1986. <laughs> it does. I know what you're already asking. Does it play the famous song, Eye of the Tiger? It does. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure the whole movie was based around the song. They're like, we yes. have the song. Why don't we just come up with a movie? Absolutely. I think they completely <laughs> reverse engineered a movie <laughs> to fit the song. And it's it's a Gary Busey movie. So this is like, Oof. you know, kind of it's it's kind of like Gary Busey before, you know, we know him, I feel right. like. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like it was this like kind of um 
you know how a lot of 80s action movies involve like men who come home from Vietnam. That's kind of what this was about. He was imprisoned and then he he gets out and he discovers, you know, his entire town and his family are being like rampaged by this like motorcycle gang that seems very much like the motorcycle gang from like uh, weird science or something, you know, it's like they, they all look like <laughs> Mad Max characters. Oh God. It's the, it's the, um, the biker from Raising Arizona. Yes, absolutely. It's like, you know, those types that, that was like kind of a stock villain character in eighties movies and like Yafet Koto's in it. Seymour Cassell plays this like sheriff in town. Who's just constantly sweating with like an open shirt. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> It's it's pretty pretty trashy. And then what else did I see? So then I saw this so I got kind of obsessed with this guy and I I had seen his movies before, but I think I sort of went on a tear of this like producer director named James Glickenhaus. And if you look up James Glickenhaus, he's pretty much now almost exclusively like like a race car guy like he's Ooh. um he collects like racing cars and stuff and he like he's pretty much known for that and it feels like his movies are almost like second to all of this other stuff that he does now but like oh, wow he, he made kind of these really gritty vigilante slash like you know i don't know actiony kind of like revenge type of movies And a lot of them are about like, you know, dirty cops and stuff like that. And it's just and they're all just kind of like insane, like really over the top action sequences where you're like, did someone die when they blew up that cat thing? Or like, you know, like did like in real life, did someone die on set? Like you're like, oh, let's blow up this you know, dump truck. And then you see like three people flying through the air and you're like, are those people on the set or they were just standing there? But I saw, so I saw this movie called Shakedown, which I actually think that you would really enjoy because yeah. it's it's around the same era. It's like Sam Elliott around the same era of Roadhouse. So he oh. still has the hair from Roadhouse, essentially. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yes. that's all I need. He looks hot as fuck in that movie. Yes. So he's hot as fuck in, um, in Shakedown. And he and it stars like him and Peter Weller, who is RoboCop, <laughs> and they're kind of. You like want to tell me who Peter Weller is? <laughs> oh, I know, because you, because you, didn't you talk about RoboCop in that episode we did? Was that your? When movie? am I not talking about RoboCop? That, I mean, truly, <laughs> truly. But it's like it's like one of those like buddy, lethal weapony type of movies where it's like Peter Weller's like a a lawyer. And Sam Elliott is like an undercover police officer and they're trying to like fight a corrupt cop within like the police department of New York or wherever they're at. So it's like one of those types of movies. There is a scene where a person dies by roller coaster (laughs) and it truly is spectacular. Like I laughed so hard when I saw it. (laughs) Did they die by being on the roller coaster or being hit by the roller coaster? Kind of both. Like (laughs) (laughs) they bounced out. (laughs) They were on the roller coaster and then the roller coaster flew off the tracks and then crashed into like Cody Island or whatever. (laughs) And then maybe the guy flies out and gets smashed by the roller coaster. I don't really know. But um, yeah, and there's all, and and there's also prior to that actual death, 
there's a roller coaster fight sequence, which felt dangerous. Like it did feel fucking dangerous. Like I was just like, is Sam Elliott actually on a moving roller coaster, like getting into a fist fight? Look, in the 80s, anything is possible. The yes. rules the rules were real loose. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and so that movie blew me away. Um, I also saw this movie called Siege, which I think is sort of like less of the it, it was kind of more of a thriller actually, and it was kind of interesting because it was it's a Canadian film that takes place in I want to say it's like Nova Scotia or something, but there was a um a police strike that actually happened in Nova Scotia. Oh. And the, there's footage, the actual footage of that strike is in the film. So it's kind of got like this historical component to it in a weird oh, way. Wow. But it's um the reason why I watched it, because somebody had told me it was basically like assault on Precinct 13, but at a gay bar. Ooh. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So yeah, it's basically about like, uh, you know, these homophobic street thugs who are trying to kill gay men and they go into a gay bar and then, you know, they basically hold it people hostage, but then like somebody escapes and then they end up sort of like moving into this like apartment complex where like all these like young people live. And then, so it's like, it becomes like the building versus the street gang. Ooh, It's kind of cool. Like that really I was, happened. That part did not happen. Okay. But it happened in the film. It happened during a police strike. Gotcha. Which actually which did, did happen. happen. Yes. I wonder if it was in Halifax. We have a lot of listeners in Halifax. Yeah. Listen, if you know anything about this movie called Siege from 1983, please email us at at gmail.com. But I actually thought it was pretty cool, considering, you know what I mean? Yeah. And had had a great soundtrack. So then I think from that point, you know, you fall down these like rabbit holes. So there was a character in the movie who was played by this actor named Daryl Haney. And I went down a rabbit hole of this guy you know, he wrote a lot of scripts for Hollywood and then wrote some books and stuff. And he's still alive and he's, you know, I think he's still working. But then he wrote this movie called <laughs> Crime Zone from 1989. So I went and rented Crime Zone. And it was like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. No disrespect to you, sir. No disrespect to Mr. Haney. But uh, this movie was kind of nuts. It was like a... Uh, <laughs> post-apocalyptic like robocop thing sherilyn fenn is in it uh david carradine is in it so it's oh, you wow. know very sexy it's it's a sexy post-apocalyptic scenario so that was interesting what else oh and then i saw another james glickenhouse movie called the soldier from 1982 and this movie starred an actor who I pretty much have completely forgotten about until the, I saw this movie. Ken Wall. Oh, wow. Do you remember Ken Wall? Yeah. Didn't he move into directing? Um, I think he's retired completely now. Oh, wow. I, but Ken Wall from that show on CBS, yeah. was it called Wise Guys? Yeah. Wise Guy. Singular. Wise Guy. That's I right. believe. I believe. If my memory serves, it was one wise guy. Yeah. And maybe it was like more like late 80s or something. <laughs> but I think I was horny for Ken Wall like back in the day because he was hot as hell in The Soldier. I don't remember what he looks like. He kind of was like 
he had a Clooney-esque vibe to him. I don't know if that was just oh, the hair. Oh, like light eyes, dark hair. Yep. Yes, Go- I remember If him. you Google pictures of him, I mean, he was real hunky. I, when I went on the subsequent kind of uh, internet dive about him, I mean, I was I read this thing about how like Tracy Lords was like, he's like the hottest dude I ever slept with or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> A true compliment. Uh, truly, truly. You know, I think now I was reading something about how now, you know, he retired from acting, I think maybe even in the I want to say it was even in the 90s. Like he he has been out of the public eye for a while and then now he just like rescues animals. I'm just like, "Ugh. Aww. Yeah. That's incredibly sweet." Yeah. Um I I was like, "Okay, that's a good story there." But yeah, so he was in this movie and it was like, you know, a, as I mentioned, like a James Glickenhouse movie. It there was a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of people getting blown up and stuff like the first like 10 minutes of the film is so crazy not even the first 10 minutes let me say this the first two minutes of the film is really crazy oh my word (laughs) so i'll have to maybe post it on my instagram or something but uh yeah also i'm I'm looking up ken wall right now and he married one of the barbie twins from the the 80s what do you mean barbie twins there are these models who were called the the barbie twins in the 80s oh and he married, he's married to one of them. Oh. That's wild. Yeah, they're, ide- they're identical twins. And they were like part of the Playboy oh, thing. Yeah. And then they, I think they were part of like the Larry Flint, like suing Larry Flint. Oh, um, I see. I see. But yeah, that's wild. She's, she's a big animal activist too. So that totally makes sense. If they're still married, I think so. Who knows? Yeah. But that's wild. Two yeah. 80s tastes that go great together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then, you know, just a few more. I I, I rewatched a movie called Hard Ticket to Hawaii. You love that movie. Oh, look, I can't even pretend I don't. Like, I watched it for Scotty and Pete's podcast because they asked me to be on, you know, an episode of the movies that made us gay. I, f- I believe that episode is out right now. If you want to um, go to their um, Patreon page or their website, you know, we love them. They've been guests on our pod before. They knew that I liked the movie and they were like, will you be on this episode? And so watching it again was just insane. Like I just was like, uh, this film is totally outrageous. What a great setup for to have it on that podcast is fantastic. Like their commentary has got to be off the wall. Yes. And we we had a lot to say about there's actually like a a drag character in Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And that is it's a very interesting that there's that that there's a character in that type of film if you've seen the film you'll know what i'm talking about but considering that like it's pretty much like a softcore porn featuring like playboy playmates you're like oh there's somebody in drag <laughs> like oh, uh, they're like a they're like spying on a restaurant in drag and then of course the to to end this fantastic run of kind of 80s action trash. I saw Maniac Cop, which it's another James Glickenhouse produced film because it was, and he didn't direct it because it was directed by um, William Lustig, who's a very Mm -hmm. famous uh, cult movie director. And it was written by Larry Cohn, who, you know, everybody knows from It's Alive and many, many, many other things. But Maniac Cop is so fun. Bruce Campbell 
by the way. Okay. Oh my God. Everybody talks about how Bruce Campbell as Ash in the Evil Dead movies is like the hottest kind of cult movie action horror star. But I got to tell you, Bruce Campbell in Maniac Cop is yeah. very cute. I'm going to co-sign that. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Campbell in general during this time. Absolutely. Very top of the line hot. Yes. And, it, and, and, and to that point, like Sam Raimi makes a cameo in it, which I forgot. I got to say Maniac Cop is like, <laughs> it's this kind of movie where like it somehow is more relevant as it got older, like, or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's now like there are times in the film where you're like, Oh, this is how people feel about the police at this very moment in time. Right. Like, it's just, it hasn't, it's only gotten kind of like more politically sharp, I think over time, but that's all to say, I mean, there's, there's just some crazy moments in maniac cop and well, the Tom look of a- Maniac Cop is like just the look of the cop is hilarious. Yes, and Tom Atkins is doing his Tom Atkins thing, being like a a daddy, a daddy police officer. So there, so but that, it was just fun. It was just it's so fun. But that's it. I mean, that's kind of like what I've been up to in the past like couple months, couple weeks, and uh, that's a lot. So that, that's where my brain's been. Just a that lot of a lot. like. A lot of people flying off of things and uh, <laughs> a lot of people being blown the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, a lot of bad guys, fl- you know, having these like really sensational endings to their lives. It's um, it's it's really fun and, ve- and very, very summery. So I'm 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 in a good headspace after I watch them. They're, they're really fun. That's I love that. That's your brain clearer. <laughs> like I need to. To go ahead and, and swab the decks of my brain with some people getting blown up and yeah. murdered a lot. Who, who, I mean, maybe me and your grandma have more in common than we ever thought. I'm sure I'm confident of this. Could not be more <laughs> confident of this. I need to get you here to watch some movies with her before she shakes loose this mortal coil. I'm, she would I'm have there. so much fun. Also, am I mistaken? Did Was Nicholas Winding Refn supposed to do a remake of Maniac Cop? Yep. At some point, like it's been in the works for years and then it was going to be a TV show and then someone else was. I don't know. I just remember that like mm-hmm. he was kind of attached to a remake that never seemed to happen or maybe isn't going to happen. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right about that. Because I think him and William Lustig are actually working together or, or we're working together. I don't know what yeah. process it's in, but um, I kind of yeah. I kind of. Whenever I see stuff like that, and I, I, I know that Nick, a lot of people don't like Nicholas Winding Refn, but I do. I like his movies a lot. But I always, there's kind of a knee-jerk reaction for me whenever I see, like, a guy who's clearly doing a remake of one of his, like, hyper-focused movies from their childhood. Mm-hmm. I just feel like a lot of women don't get the chance to do that. And it's always a dude who's like, I fucking love Rambo. I'm remaking Rambo. And I'm like, why don't you have more like women directors who are like, I fucking love the Care Bears movie or whatever it is. Like maybe it's a woman who loved Rambo. Like just, why don't we see more of that? I just, whenever I see those kinds of reports, like I'm a big enough director now that I can do whatever I want. And they always go and remake something like old boy or whatever. And I'm like, why, why? Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to, you don't want to teach me how to make movies. Cause that's all I'd be doing. (laughs) 
hot shit. I'd oh be my doing God. a dra- I'd be doing a drag queen version of Tremors. Like it's, I'd thank just be you. doing all kinds of shit. And that's <laughs> you're right. You're right about that. It's it, it is like something that seems to be afforded to men versus women. And I know yeah. that there are female directors that do a lot of homage like type of films, like Anna Biller or something. She's kind of the first person that comes to mind. But I'm also like there's like it seems like the scales are heavily tipped in the guy's favor when it yeah. comes to the stuff and you know and especially when it comes to like straight up remakes like a l- most women I know I I know a lot of women who love Maniac Cop and yep. some of them have like they're bound to be directors editors just a lot of women who are interested in the same shit but I don't think just have the same leeway to make the films that they loved as kids or they, they kind of obsessed over as kids. And maybe that's for the better. I think that maybe it's because a lot of these remakes are just unnecessary, which is also kind of my, my bone to pick with it. It's like, you don't mm-hmm. have to do this. Like just, just to prove to us how much you love this movie. You can just say you love this movie and leave yeah. it at that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought that whenever I, whenever I see or, or whenever it comes across my, my my eyes that maniac cop is on the scene i'm like oh yeah there's supposed to be a remake of that and i'm pretty sure it's gonna be bad yeah that, that uh, tbd i guess we'll see yeah. what happens but um yeah well I that's totally a great that's a great list um i'm excited to see what the next couple of months are going to bring for you for your yeah. viewing your your viewing rabbit holes but james <laughs> james glickenhouse is a hell of a rabbit hole to go down What are you thinking right now? You think you want to talk about this theme this week? Oh, yeah, of course. And our, th- our it's a recurring theme. I'm sure most of you guessed it. Uh, but our theme this week is From Beneath You, It Devours, which is, oh of gosh. course, a nod to a Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show. I'm particularly thinking about Spike. I don't think you watched Buffy, but like when Spike, there's this one episode where it's this kind of recurring theme that people just keep saying from beneath you it devours and it's like the big monster of the season but there's mm-hmm. one scene where spike says it and it's kind of hot and i'm like whatever's yeah. coming for us all right spike bring it on uh <laughs> yeah yeah we it has been a long time since we've done this one yeah and the last time we did it yeah so what we, we did graveyard shift and shud and i was like certainly we've done both like the only two in in movie history no there's a lot more a lot a more ton. films this this theme could recur forever this theme could be to. its own podcast yes it's true. once you start digging into things that come up from below to eat you or terrify you it could be its own podcast with multiple seasons absolutely and i know you're going first this week yeah. Can I just say it was an absolute fucking pleasure to rewatch your film. Like in a way that I it, it made me so happy. It made me so happy. I'll just say that. And I I had never seen your film before. And it actually wasn't available for a while because you've been wanting to do this film for a while that just wasn't available. So if you're at all interested in watching Millie's film, watch it immediately because I have no idea when it's going to disappear again. Yes. But we are going to have a talk about the horniness level of this film. Oh, yes. I mean, it is. I don't know what I'm going to. I don't know what's going to happen during my section because I, I have 
it has been a very, 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 very long time since I've seen it. And now I'm like, I don't even know what I think. So we'll get into it. We'll get into it. I'm going to go first and discuss a film, just a little movie that was released in 1990. Uh, The screenplay is by Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson, and it was directed by Ron Underwood. And my movie is Tremors. What the hell are those things? After they eat a whole station wagon. All right. Listen, right off the bat, I'm just going to give you the one sentence synopsis, which is two handymen in a desolate desert town rally the troops and try not to get et the fuck up by some giant sandworms. Okay. Just et up. And they are up against it. Now, the, these two handymen, Valentine and Earl, Val and Earl, are esteemed dirtbags. Uh, they are played by Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. And they will basically do any job for any resident of this small town, which is called Perfection Valley. Uh, And Earl is very organized and ambitious. And Valentine just kind of wants to know what's for breakfast. So Val is just chaos. And Earl is very methodical in their working relationship. But they're kind of sick of living hand to mouth. And they decide that day to pack up their trailers and leave Perfection Valley and head to Bixby, which is like the, the nearest big city or big town. And on their way, the beginning of the movie is you're kind of following them on their way to out of town. Like they're kind of packing and going through the motions. So they run into Rhonda, who's a seismology student. There's always a seismology student in this town, apparently. Um, And she's getting some, some strange readings. So that's the beginning, like the little tip off that some shit's going to go down. But then on their way out of town, shit starts to get real weird. So first they see Edgar, who is the local alcoholic and he's just dead on an electrical pole, just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And when they finally like they get a doctor out there and the doctor's like, oh, this guy died of dehydration. He was up here for at least three or four days. And they're like, what the fuck? And then we go to the local store where we meet Bert, who's the local conspiracy theorist, played by Michael Gross, the dad from Family Ties, old mm-hmm. Stephen from Family Ties. And let me tell you that there are six Tremors. <laughs> there are six more Tremors movies. And Michael Gross stars in all of them. <laughs> Yes. He is crucial to this universe. He, like, and it's so great because I had only seen him in Family Ties. Yeah. So I'm like, I kind of love, like, seeing him in this this role. And can I just tell you, sidebar, in that movie, his character wears an iconic hat. It's like a corduroy Atlanta Hawks hat. (laughs) And I am... Obviously, as you know, I'm a huge Hawks fan. I'm an I'm an Atlanta gal. And I am on the internet right now trying to find like <laughs> this hat. And I think I found one. <gasps> no it's, way. Somebody recreated it. It's on Etsy for like $18, but the shipping is like $30. So oh I'm like, oh my huh, God. Where are they shipping it from? Tasmania? What the fuck? I know. I was like $30 for shipping. I'm like, oh, that's how they get you. But <laughs> I am very close to pulling the trigger on this hat. It's like you gotta so it. perfect. You got to do it. Did you re? I mean, is there any reason that you found 
in your research to as to why he's wearing a hawk's hat? I don't know. I did not find any research about it. Um, yeah. But what my guess is, is that this town in general, this Perfection Valley place, seems to be made up of a bunch, like a lot of locals, but it seems to be made up of a bunch of people who are moving there specifically for like peace and quiet. Yeah. And my guess is that because Bert and his wife, Heather, who's played by Reba McIntyre, are yes. such like early prototype conspiracy theorist they moved there specifically so they could build their bunker because yeah. they have like you know the the guns and the weapons and the water and the like they have everything they need to ride out the apocalypse and that's where they chose to do it so it wouldn't surprise me if he was like from atlanta yep. or that was just like his team and they moved there so they could live out their wildest conspiracy theorist dreams oh like that is probably actually the entire reason like, it's, it, you know, when you put it into that context, I'm like, oh, these are people that are, like, definitely trying to go off the grid. Yes. They're, like, doing their, you know, kind of Waco-esque, like, military-style bunker with guns. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this might... He may not be from Atlanta. Actually, let's get serious. He is not from Atlanta. He's probably from, like, I don't know, like... Brooks County, Georgia, or something like some real, real down south. But that's still his team. That's still his team. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's the only professional sports team within, you know, three states. So, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. He's, he's that guy for sure. Yeah. And he's hilarious. And it's also weird to see him without facial hair. Like his whole de- face and demeanor changes from Stephen and Family Ties to. Bert, like it just his him not having facial hair changes him into a different actor for me. Yeah. And that was like that in the 90s, too. Like the first time I saw him in Tremors, I was like, whoa, who is this dude? Because this is not the Michael Gross that I've come to know. Right. So I kind of love that move. But he's hilarious in this movie. And Reba McIntyre is also deeply funny and actually a pretty good actor. I got to say. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like she was it a TV show, right? At some yeah. point later. She had, her own, she had her own TV show. Yeah. She's great. Uh, they are kind of a great little couple, despite the fact that, you know, if you really, they probably are not aligned with the two of us politically, maybe their characters, no. but like as a, as a couple in a movie, they're great. And then we also have Chang, who is the store owner, who's always looking to make a buck. I fucking love Chang. He's played by an actor that you would 100% recognize because he's been in so many things. Victor Wong, classic 80s actor. He's been in so just wonderful, wonderful actor. And he's fucking hilarious in this movie. And you kind of get to just like meet some of the kids in the town. Uh, One of the kids is Mindy, who you will recognize from Jurassic Park. And she is always on a pogo stick, just totally adorable little kid. And then you have Melvin, who's played by Bobby Jacoby. And you'll recognize him from, again, a bunch of 80s things. He was a a character actor in a lot of TV shows. And he is such a pain in the fucking ass. He's like very boy who cried wolf, but he's just always fucking with people. So the minute these worms get on the scene, he's like always pretending to be like in peril. And it's just very funny how they have no patience with this kid. Like they're not even pretending to give a shit about this kid. They're like, we will fuck you up if you do that again. Like, yeah. everyone is mad at this kid. It's kind of fucking great. And then we have, again, like the doctor and his wife, Megan, and, and you know, all these people kind of end up at this general store. It's like the store in town. And so as Val and Earl are trying to make their way out of town, 
we see that, that there's this rancher and his sheep are all eaten and Val and Earl kind of happen upon them. He, they find this dude just he's just a face in the ground like he's just dead in a hole under his own hat. And they're like, what the fuck? So they kind of turn around and try to warn the people. And they're like, something's going on. So they warn these road workers. And the road workers are like, huh, what? We don't care. (laughs) And then they get eaten immediately. And like their heads are all crushed in their fucking helmets and shit. And they that 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 eating the eating of these these road workers causes an avalanche that blocks the only road into and out of town. Mm. And then Val and Earl get their truck stuck as they're trying to back away. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, they're kind of arguing about his drive, Val's driving. And he's like, it ain't me. And sure enough, it isn't. Because when they pull back into the general store and look under the truck, they realize that they've ripped in half a monster, like one of these worms, who was biting onto the axle with his teeth, which is fucking hilarious. And that's what was trying to pull him back into the earth. (laughs) And we realized that, like, these fucking worms mean business. So the doctor and his wife die soon after this, and he gets completely ed up, like, immediately. He mm-hmm. just gets ed up, dragged to the ground. And then his wife, Megan, tries to get in the car so she can be safe, and the worms are all, like, slamming their snot bodies up against the windows, and she thinks she's safe for a minute, and then they just eat the car. They're just like, fuck you, we'll just take the whole fucking thing down. We'll get you somehow. Like, these worms mean fucking business, and they're smart and they learn, which is yeah. so weird. Now, the thing I found fascinating about these worms is where did they come from? We don't know. It's yeah. never explained. Nobody cares. <laughs> I I appreciate that, actually. Like, I'm, I I was so glad because you know how it is in, the, in these types of films where, OK, so you've got the seismologist, right? She's like the only character that has any science background whatsoever. Right. I was just really in a lot of these types of films, you invariably have this like scene where the scientist like goes to like her headquarters and, and there's like a research, you know, sequence where they're like, here's, I found out what these things are. Here's exactly what they, where they come from. Here's what they do. Here's how to kill them. And so it gives you that kind of like plot information about these creatures. Right. I love that, that, that Tremors does not do that. Tremors is just like, you're just going to have to, that's just going to have to be a mystery, folks. Absolutely. Like, and even in the film, know. the character of, of Rhonda says that. She's like, why do you keep asking me about these things? Like, I don't know anything about them more than yeah. you do. I'm a seismologist. I'm not a wormologist. Like, right, right. Yes, absolutely. And I, and so I think that creates more terror, you know, yeah. and when you don't know and you can't figure out how what they're going to do or how to destroy them. That's, well, and that's it's great. Kind of the joy of the movie is is watching the characters discover what these worms actually are. So yeah. we're we're back at the store and Chang is making the kids pose with the half monster, like the ripped off monster. He's like, bring that thing inside. Let's get some pictures. We're going to make some money <laughs> off of this. And I, as I talked about in Attack the Block, I always love it when people are like, oh, an alien, a monster. Let's make some dough. Like now's the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so... They're, but this is where we also realize that they're completely cut off and they realize that they're cut off and somebody's finally like, hey, can we maybe use some horses to ride to Bixby and get some help? Mm-hmm. And Earl and Val decide to decide to go and they have this really cute, like they play Rochambeau throughout the movie to decide who's going to do things. Um, but they're both going on these horses. And this scene has one of the best lines i mean for the duration of my career as a screenwriter i will never write anything that makes me laugh this hard 
because as they're getting on the horses, Chang says, hey, Earl, here's some Swiss cheese and some bullets. And I do not know why that line makes me laugh so fucking hard. And it's such a throwaway line. And it's said almost quietly, but it is fucking hilarious. And it is this movie to a T. Here's some Swiss cheese and some bullets. Like, we love you. Take care of yourself. Maybe try shooting at these worms. We don't know what's going on. You might survive. You might not. But it is fucking hilarious. And then they're like, oh, yeah. Can you also go check on the grad student? Like, maybe go get that grad student from the middle of the desert while these worms are acting up. Yeah. (laughs) Again, like the subtle humor of this movie is what I love about it. Because it's also a horror movie. It's also an action movie. But it's just hilarious. It's just purely funny. And Kevin Bacon in particular is very, very funny in this movie. Yes. Fred Ward plays kind of a a character that we're used to seeing him play, like kind of a gruff guy, but he's also very funny. Ooh, you know but how he... I feel about Fred Ward. We have to post that text that exchange that we had. <laughs> that should be the Wednesday post for this week. That should be the post um, for tomorrow. Yes. I, I will. I will. I'll put myself out there on that post because I, I texted you something filthy about it to be quite honest, but I, but that, that is the thing too, that has changed. This is how I know I've gotten older. This is gro- this is growth. When I first saw Tremors, I was in love with Kevin Bacon. Right. When I saw Tremors this week, I'm in love with Fred Ward. Period. And that's, that's my growth. That is growth. <laughs> that I am. I am horny for Fred Ward in Tremors. I'm sorry. It just I just am. Like there are parts where he's kind of like standing there in his jeans. And his bugle boy jeans in the desert or whatever. Ah, bugle boys. <laughs> Excuse me. Are those bugle boy jeans you're wearing? And he's oh, just kind of no. like, he's got his like hip out. And I'm like, damn. Well, this, this combines a lot of things that you appreciate in a man, which is a little bit jockey. Yes. A little bit older, a little bit gruff, a little craggy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, very deserty, a little yes. bit survivalist. Yes. Like he's got it all going on in this movie. So this is not surprising to me at all. <laughs> and I'm still on Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon is only attractive to me when he has longer hair. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just the, the, the proof is in the pudding. I've seen him in 800 movies at this point. He is only hot to me when he has long hair. Yeah, oh, I get that. I mean, listen, not not to disparage my previous crush, because you know, like, there's that, that. It's towards the end of the film when he when he's wearing that kind of like white cowboy shirt with the sleeves rolled up, and he's got his like little uh, straw hat on. Yeah, I was like, damn, he's so cute in this. He's very cute in this, and yeah. very funny. And again, he has recently said, like, as of January this year, even has said that he would come back to Tremors, like. Everyone's like, it's time to get Kevin Bacon back into the Tremors franchise. And he's like, yeah, I'll come back. Like, he just seems really funny and cool with it. Like, he knows this movie is great. Amazing. He said he'd come back. And I think he should. And I think he'd be even hotter now as long as he keeps his hair a little bit long. A little on the shaggy side. A little greasy. A little greasy. So they realize they're completely cut off. They get on these horses, try to get the grad student. And shit pops off immediately. They get chased by these fucking worms. And it's a big worm. They like they see the big one, and they're like, "Oh shit!" But that's how they figure out that these things live underground. And again, it's like the pacing of the film, kind of you're discovering information in real time with the characters, which I kind of adore. So they run away from this thing and they jump into this like crevice, and the worm kills itself by running into a cement wall trying to chase them. 
And Kevin Bacon just looks at it and goes, fuck you. And it is so fucking funny and weird <laughs> as this thing's just hanging out of this, like, dripping blood and just hanging out. This is the other thing I appreciate this appreciate about this movie. It's pretty gory. Like, it's very gory. So Rhonda shows up and she's like, what the fuck's going on? And she sees this worm and is like, what the fuck? This is the most important zoological discovery of the century. Meanwhile, Val's up top and he's like, hey, I found the ass in. Like, he's just such a goon throughout. (laughs) Um, And she's like, this is an important zoological discovery. He's like, yeah, look at the butt. So (laughs) she decides to, to tell them that based on her readings, there's at least three more of these things. And they're trying to figure out, again, in a scene that is so funny, they're trying to figure out what these things are. And she's like, I don't know, they could be a million years old. And Val's like, they could be out of space. And then Earl's like, or the government built them. Like, they're just the, the personalities that come out in their discussion of where these worms could have come from is very, very funny. Yeah. But they're stuck on this rock because they're realizing that the worms can hear them through sonic vibrations. They can't see, but they can hear them through through vibrations. So every time they try to step on the ground, the things pop up. And we right. also realize that the big worm is the monster. The little worms, like the one that grabbed onto the axle of the truck, is like its tongue. Like it's got like a million little worms as a tongue. And it's just grasping. So this thing can do some serious fucking damage. Yeah. But they decide... Rhonda genius decides to pole vault back to their back to her truck to get back to the general store to hang out with the rest of the people and let them know what's going on. And the rest of the movie is basically them trying to outwit and kill the remaining three worms. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just great. It's just, I mean, they're on the roof. We've got fucking Melvin acting like a dick and then actually getting kind of wrapped up in one of these worms. Like it's just a fun fucking movie. You know, you've got Mindy, the little girls hopping on her pogo stick in one very tense scene where they're trying to be quiet. And then you just hear her like creaky pogo stick coming down the road. And it's just got all the makings of like everything that makes a classic horror movie great. Everything that makes a classic action movie great. It is. It's just fun. It's a fun summer movie. It's a fun family movie. I remember watching. I don't know if kids these days can handle tremors but we definitely it was marketed as a kids movie essentially. Yeah, it's like PG-13. So, yeah, you know. So we definitely saw it. Fun for the whole family and gory and bloody, which is great. It's disgusting. I I like how, spoiler alert, I suppose, but you know, when, (laughs) when they, the monster starts getting blown the fuck up, it's like, he's got that like marinara sauce blood. Yeah. It's like bright pink. (laughs) Yeah. And they, and they stink. Yeah, they. I love that that little that little trailer throughout the movie of like they stink dead or alive. They yeah. smell like hell. I feel like these are details that like kids really sink their teeth into. Yes. Like the grotesqueness of you know movie monsters, and then if if it can somehow swerve into the lane of like farts and poops, ah. it's like perfect for our brains at that time, right? The development of toilet humor is crucial to childhood. (laughs) (laughs) I do love the duo, though. I love Kevin and Bacon. Kevin and Bacon. What the fuck am I talking about? Kevin (laughs) and Bacon. (laughs) That's a country song. Kevin and Bacon out on the desert range. Um, (laughs) I love Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward together. Like the idea that they seem like 
completely believable business partners. Did yeah. you think that? Like, I was oh, like, completely. oh, they, these guys definitely run a handyman business. Like, yeah. They're like the guys I see around here who are like, all right, you do this, I do that. We might as well team up. And they're yeah. not exactly friends, but they're just, they have a good business together. Yeah. But, but then even as actors, like, these are actors that are believable as, like, normal people living in the desert, too. Like, I'm like, oh, this isn't, like, George Clooney getting some dust on his face. You know I mean? This is, like, two guys that seem like they were truly living in that community or whatever. So you I, are, I You are against that. George Clooney today. You were on one with the Did Clooney. Did I say, God, I must, like, subconsciously, like, feel, I don't know. What am I doing? I Did you read something dis- about him? I don't know. <laughs> Did you get drunk on his tequila last night? I know. Maybe I have a Casamigos hangover. <laughs> I don't know. You were out late. You were out late. It could have been. I was. I was. But yeah, I, I don't know. I uh, I really do love Tremors. And I like, it's still so fun. So entertaining. Everybody in the movie is charming. Everybody is charming. Yes. Reba can act. I mean, it's great. It's a great film. From beneath you, it devours. We don't care where these worms came from, but they're coming to eat you up. Yeah. that's about, This movie is probably the perfect representation of our theme. Whereas my movie is technically about the theme. It is. Of course it is. But whether or not we see them enough is another question. Yes. Yeah, because okay. you do see the, the, the tremor worms right away. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, we're going to get into it. Okay, so my movie for the theme, From Beneath You, It Devours, is a movie from 1981. It was uh, written by Thomas C. Chapman, David O'Malley, and Jim Koof, directed by James L. Conway, and it's called The Boogans. There is no escape. The Boogans. So... I, it's been a, a minute since I've seen the Boogans. Okay, and I, I'm not actually sure if I've seen the whole thing. I now that I'm thinking about it, but before I, this, yeah, I'm not sure if I saw the first part of the film. Oh, <laughs> I think shit. I've only seen the end of it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's been a, it's been a really really long time. But I have to say, if you're looking for like a good 80s slasher monster type movie. The Boogans is kind of a mid film, I gotta say. And to me, I feel like this movie is a lot more like almost like 50s science fiction films. Yeah. Where nothing happens for a very long time. Except (laughs) sex. Yeah. (laughs) And then some cool stuff at the end. That that's kind of how I feel. Like I, the 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 Boogans may being made in the early '80s. You know, you would think, oh, it's going to be like, you know, it's more subdued than I yeah. think a lot of those types of movies in that era. So, and that's not to say that this movie isn't charming. Generally, you know what I mean. Like I, the thing about it is that everybody who's in this movie is a great actor. Yeah, they filmed this like partially in utah and you know the the location the location is great the acting is great the clothes are great but you will be waiting a long time to see a boogan and for me i want to see one sooner rather than later absolutely so 
Just want to prepare anybody for that. Also, or give me some history. Like, give me something about what a boogan is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, a little a little TBD of that gets fleshed out either. But, and I know, I'm sure you'll talk about this, but you do have the sinister creepiness of this one old guy who just oh. is hanging around. You're like, is he a boogan? Like, what the fuck? Like, he knows something. I have an entire five paragraph essay about this character. So prepare yourselves. <laughs> but but I also want to say up top too, listen, if you hate spoilers, you, you're going to have to come back next week because I'm definitely going to give away some of the ending of this movie. Because quite frankly, the best part of the film happens within the last like 10, 15 minutes of the film. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't think it's a spoiler. I think that it's still worth watching the movie if even if you know what, when that, what that scene is. Yes. Plus, this movie is 42 years old. And I feel like that's a very long time for people to have seen it. I mean, maybe that's an excuse, but I'm just saying, if you really just don't want to know, turn me off. We'll see you next week. Okay. But I'm, from here on out, spoilers will happen. Okay. I won't give a one sentence synopsis because I think I'm just going to roll out everything all at once. It's This is going to be cool. a very different way of, of talking about a film. I'm Maybe. Who knows? But the opening of this film is essentially the opening credits to the TV show Cheers, okay? There's a lot of historical photography of, like, minors, not young people, but the people that go into the ground. And there's all, like, old-timey newspaper clippings happening. It's very, like, the old wallpaper at Wendy's type of thing. So, <laughs> imagine this vibe okay it's that um when people used to go and get those sepia tone pictures with their families where they're all dressed up in old-timey clothes i have one of those did, have you did you ever take what? one? Oh yeah millie of course not you know my goddamn family wouldn't pay for something like that yeah i went to when i when my family briefly lived in chicago we went to the Museum of Science and Industry, and I swear there's a picture of me and my mom and my dad. This was before my sister was born, when I was an only child. The good old days. The good, the good old, old days. days. And we were in some, like, old Western buggy, like a stagecoach <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I guess I have one of those photos. Oh, God. In Chicago. I fucking love it. I fucking yeah. love it. So, um, but what you learn through this old-timey sequence is that there was a mine at some point they found silver down there and it was you know it was it, pr it was prosperous for the town then they found something else down there it killed a bunch of people and then they sealed it off <laughs> that sequence is so great because it's like we struck gold yay or like we found silver oh no something oh no it just keeps getting more and more dire and then they're like the mine's closed <laughs> yes it's kind of like the, cre the credit sequence it's like well if you didn't pay attention to this you will n literally not know what happens for the rest of the film so oh god but so then you know of course the beginning of the movie is in present day okay and so you have this other group of miners Two of whom are young and horny and two of whom are old men, okay? They go down into this, you know, now abandoned mine to just check it out, you know, to see what's going on down there. And in this first few minutes, you get introduced to this stock movie character who's hanging out. Danielle alluded to him just a moment ago, but I am dubbing him 
the well-intentioned but creepy old man. As most are. I'm calling him the Wibcom for short. Ah! And he's a stock character because we've seen this character in many other films, right? He's like old man Marley in Home Alone. He's like oh, Judd from Pet Cemetery. He's the dude in the film who everyone thinks is like a grizzled serial killer, but he's actually just trying to protect people or warn the town of some evil or something like that, right? But he's so creepy. He's so, yeah. cr- I'm like, if you're going to try to, and this character, like you said, pops up a lot. If you're going to try to warn people about shit, don't just creep around for the, most of the movie. Like jump yes. in and be like, hey, some shit's going on. Yeah. And he, and, and really he doesn't even become the full webcom until like, He's basically trying to blow things up. So it's like if he had just like paced himself and gave a little bit of information of, of, of what is going on in the town, then it wouldn't be so creepy. But since he saved it all for like a really crucial part, he's just a creep, you know? And, and that's effectively what he does is that the Wibcom kind of shows up and he's just like telling people, hey, keep this mind caved in. There's some evil down there. Don't, <laughs> I wrote, don't disturb this boog. No, you didn't. <laughs> Don't disturb this boog. <laughs> Do you remember that video we have of me driving when, when I first got my car? <laughs> oh, God, that is the best thing you've ever said on this fucking podcast. <laughs> Don't disturb this boog. <laughs> that is an inside joke but if Holy you somehow shit. get the reference god bless you but anyway i just i had to do that for you i just had to do that for you bless bless up <laughs> but so every character ignores this guy this wibcom and then that you know guess what they end up blowing up the mine to see what's in there and they find bones down there i mean <laughs> not not good right they're like here's a lake and some bones <laughs> yes so not good <laughs> not good when you find that so then a lady apparently gets killed in her house by something that's subterranean okay we have no idea what what it is all we know is that the webcom comes by just like the old lady from the banshees of inisherin <laughs> Just to say that something ominous is afoot. That that's like again, like a thing that no one's. He he's just like if he shows up, that means it's evil. Something evil is happening, but we don't see it. We don't know what it is yet, right? He only leaves his house to to tell you to be a portent of death. <laughs> <laughs> so, this lady who has died in her house somehow also owns an Airbnb. I guess. And, and and then the two horny miners from, you know, the mine site are like renting her house for the weekend. Oh, God. No, no. This woman, by the way, was never found. So <laughs> we just assume that are that she's under the house. Right. Because a subterranean creature pulled her under there. And then the doors were just open. And so they're like, oh, here's the house we're renting. And everyone's like, okay, well, the doors are open because she was in there and got pulled down. So it's like that thing where they're like, okay, uh, here's our rental house. They've got some girls coming, 
you know, one of the guys is this character named Roger and he's like booed up with one of the women named Jessica. And like all they do for the first like 20, possibly 30 minutes of the film is they just talk about doing it in this rental house (laughs) while their single friends are staying there for the weekend. And they're like making jokes and she's jumping on the bed. Like I got to test it out. Yeah. And as a person who has been in this position many times in her life, this is why I do not share Airbnbs with couples, period. I'm like, y'all get your own place. I'm going to stay alone. In order for me to stay in an Airbnb with a couple, it would have to be a fucking mansion. Yes. <laughs> that they are paying for because they yes. are paying to insulate everyone from their sounds. Yes. It's going to have to be a castle in Ireland with stone walls. I don't want to hear none of y'all. And I'm not even saying I don't want to hear you fucking. I don't want to hear you fighting. I don't want to hear you shitting. Yeah. I don't want to hear y'all watch TikTok <laughs> together in bed. Like, I'm not doing that in my, in my age. So I'm like, I immediately felt for these other two people who Absolutely. were indicted in this horniness. Okay. And they also tried to do that thing of like, well, maybe you two will hook up. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't do yeah. that. Yeah. We don't need to do that. You need to hook me up so you can fuck this person. Yeah. Just rent me a mansion and go in your wing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and Jessica, the woman I just spoke about, she also brings her dog on the trip. And I want to talk a lot about this dog. Oh, I do as well, because I'm pretty sure it's 99% of the reason you chose the movie <laughs> is because this dog looks like Sophie. This is Sophie's grandma. <laughs> Sophie's grandma is in this film. <laughs> this dog looks exactly like my dog. Except this dog is a fucking prick. Okay, this dog is unreal, dude. <laughs> This this dog is a full-fledged actor. Like, <laughs> how, where did they find this dog? It's like the Laurence Olivier of dog. <laughs> Move over, dog from the artist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was like, the dog might be the most compelling character in this movie. Absolutely. The dog had me fucking riveted. Yes, I, I, Actually, gotta be honest, I wish the movie was two hours of this dog doing literally anything. No dialogue. Just follow this fucking pup around. Yeah. Watch him cause havoc. My fa- and, and right from jump. she they let, they let him out to pee when they're on their way. And he fucking runs away and they're all looking for him, driving themselves crazy. And then they go back to the car and he's just sitting on top of the car. Like, what's up, bitch? What's yeah. up? And like this dog is somehow communicating terror. There's like moments where the dog is is fucked off uh, somewhere in the house is doing something. And then all of a sudden this like creepy noise uh, sound happens. And then the dog like does like the snap turn of the head being like, what was that? (laughs) And the the dog has more believable facial expressions than some of the actors. Exactly. I was like, damn, this dog is good. (laughs) I'm glad she brought the dog to be honest, but it's like, cause here's the other thing that, so there's this dog in the house, but then there's these other two in the house. Like you mentioned, their characters are named Trish and Mark, okay? And even though we hate when couples force single people to try to, like, hook up in a vacation scenario, they actually do get together. They end up liking each other. And then the film 
decides to kind of focus on their full courtship, which is like an interesting choice. Like, and maybe in lieu of showing a boogan, maybe. I don't know. Like, I'm thinking they had they had the budget to make the boogan, but they clearly they didn't have the budget to show it a lot. Like maybe it was a very fragile boogan. And like we can, we only got one shot with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not necessarily complaining about this. I mean, first of all, like Mark kind of comes across as like an 80s Seth Rogen type. He's very like self-effacing and charming. And Trish kind of has this like Cindy Williams vibe to her, you know, and they're both like everybody in the film is kind of wearing this like 80s, like apres ski wear type of stuff. So it's cute. Like it's a lot of like puffy vests, a lot of like, you know, fair isle sweater type things. And like they're very charming actors and, and, and their courtship. You're like, oh, I'm pulling for these two. They're cute together. But I also do need to see a boogan, please. Like, I need to see a boogan also. And not just like a fingernail of a boogan or a tendril. Yes. And, and, and here's the thing. At some point, me watching this film, I started looking at my watch and I was like, I'm clocking this shit. When are we going to see a boogan? Right. Like, let's let's put the time, the, the time code on the screen and yeah. let's get it done. <laughs> So you have one of those big wooden hourglasses yes. and you just turn it over. You're like, tick fucking talk. I have like the giant, like network news, like <laughs> clock with like the, the red numbers that are doing like milliseconds, seconds, you know, like, I'm like, when is this boogan going to show up? And the first boogan appearance of one boogan happens 50 minutes in the film. Mm. Which of an hour and a half film. A little unreasonable for me, I just yeah. have to say. But you see like a little tiny tip of a tentacle or something like that. And and the, unfortunately, this sequence involves the very charismatic and charming dog. And we we just hate to see it. We hate to see that this beautiful creature <laughs> that we just now are so invested in. <laughs> is now, you know, possibly meeting his timely death by this tiny little tip of a thing, okay? And it wasn't until timestamp one hour and 12 minutes that we actually see a boogan finger, like a full fingernail. And I was like, (laughs) damn, that is a long time. Um, And the fingernail is the murder weapon, essentially. Essentially. This fingernail is ripping people up. Yeah. And we're like, what is this attached to? We don't know. We have no idea yet. And... So then it kind of, the whole movie kind of rolls out slowly with this thing, because, you know, this is a horror movie. You do have a shower scene with a lady in a towel who gets attacked. Of course, it's Jessica, the the horny lady, right, from from the beginning of the film. She gets pulled into some kind of floor duct, which (laughs) is where the dog was pulled from, because it was like from beneath you. It devours, right? So she goes through the floor duct and there's like a grill. I mean, I used to live in a house that had those floor ducts with mm-hmm. the grills on top. And I was so ready for boog in action at this point that yes. I actually thought it was going to, like, I thought they were going to basically like pull her body through the great holes. And it was going to be like one of those Play-Doh sets where you like put the Play-Doh in the thing and then you press down. It makes that like sausage star. A Play-Doh 
Fun Factory was yeah. on my fucking Christmas list every year of my goddamn life. And there's no way my family was going to buy it for me. My grandma was like, make a star with your bare hands. And I'm like, you don't get it. This is a fucking sausage star. This is a sausage rainbow. And she was like, fuck you. We don't have Play-Doh Fun Factory money. So I'm fully aware of what you're talking about. Because as an adult, I still I would buy one for myself today if I could if I could find one. <laughs> I wanted to see this bitch go through this like a fucking sausage. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Like an old timey meat grinder. Yes. To see these fucking limbs getting shredded through these squares. Yes. The boogan has got like a hand crank that's just like beep. <laughs> like, and this was truly, I'm not trying to be gruesome. I'm just saying, in my desperation for something crazy yes. to happen, I was like, do something gnarly. We're ready for it. I it was is... even ready for an arm to be ripped off and like show us a stump. <laughs> show us a stump. Show us a, a disgusting, bad special effects 80s stump. But yeah. rip that arm off. Yeah, I was like, maybe the dog comes back radioactive and yes. then the dog is doing the hand crank. Put the, <laughs> put the owner through the sausage star machine. Like something. Maybe the dog is a fucking boogan. <laughs> it's got tentacle instead of paws. Like, give me something. I needed it. So. <laughs> dog is cranky. He's like, I told you I was smart. Watch me work this fucking mechanical contraption. It's little paws are like crescent moons over the, <laughs> the hand crank thing. And he's like, look what I can do. Look at me. And his eyes are glowing red and bleeding down his <laughs> fur. It's blood eyes and crescent hands. Yeah. Well, at this point, we, lo we know little to nothing about these boogans. So anything could have happened. Uh, literally anything could have happened. You could have had a family of rat actors showing up and been a boogan. <laughs> so here's what does happen, though. So Trish comes home, finds that the dog is gone. Cheska is gone. She goes down into the basement of this house to try to look for people. And then suddenly this tentacle makes this like whoop-cha sound while grabbing her leg from like under the staircase. And that effectively pushes her down the stairs so hard that she like takes out the entire railing. And it was only then that I was like, finally, we got something. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> and this is basically when it gets going. And like I said, this is very, very late in the game, right? But what ends up happening is that, you know, Mark suddenly shows up to find Trish. There's a cop that suddenly is there. They all get trapped in the basement with the Boogan. And then you finally get to see the, like, baby Boogan head. Like, it's, it, it, like, it. this is the opposite of your film where, like, when you see the face of this thing, it look it, like your like the tremors sandworms have ginormous like butthole heads that like have <laughs> things things coming out of it. The boogan is this tiny little baby head. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's that's what we've been waiting for. Especially because this old man's been running around like I will blow this fucking town up <laughs> to protect you from the boogan, and you're like that boogan is the size of my foot. Yeah. And it starts like about? eating the cop's face, which is lovely. <laughs> but 
the head is so small. It just looks like it's cute. And it's like, you know what it did? You know what it was? Everybody go right now and, and Google pictures of Godzilla's son. <laughs> just go, just go to Google and look that up right now. That's what this booger looks like. This like cute little baby version of a creature. Oh no. And this is what we've been waiting on for like over an hour. And this is all happening in like the last seven minutes of this film, which is pretty much bullshit. I have to say, <laughs> just as like, I was like waiting for this to happen. Then this other oh, thing God. happens where the basement kind of catches on fire very quickly. And then they have to escape and they do it out of this hatch that goes into the haunted mine. How oh, does yeah, that work? P.S. The mine is connected to every house in town. Some At some point, the old guy says that, like it runs under every house or something. Like, you're like, what? How did no one in any iteration of this town decide to seal some of that shit off? Well, and like, that's what I kept thinking, too, because I was like, these guys work in the mine. Did they just get a house that was next door to the mine they're about to blow up? That doesn't make any sense. It took no time at all from them to be from the basement portion to the place where the skulls were. I was like, this is so weird. Yes. Like, how does this work? But I, you know, don't ask a lot of questions when it comes to things like this, as we know. And in spite of all this terror and in spite of the end of the movie, I mean, I still wanted them to go back and get the Boogan and uh, <laughs> maybe adopt the Boogan. Like, I was just like, why? This is too cute. Like, these, this is a new couple. You know, I don't know if they're thinking about having kids yet, but, you know, maybe she can't conceive or maybe his his sperm doesn't work. What if they just, like, domesticated this thing and, it's, and it becomes like ALF? It's like an ALF thing. Like, it becomes a sitcom, you know? <laughs> Replace the dog with the boogan. <laughs> and show me the boogans too, electric boogan Lou. <laughs> and it's just the No, you did boogan not. being a baby. <laughs> show me a boogan in a dog bed. What the fuck? <laughs> Eating dry food and wanting wet food. He's getting some fucking chicky nuggies and some snacks when he's good, when he doesn't eat people with his fucking fingernails. <laughs> You're trying, you have to hide it from the landlord. Oh, no, we don't have a pet. We have a fucking boogan. <laughs> you wrap it up. You swaddle it like a baby to pretend the landlord doesn't know you have a pet. <laughs> I broke Millie. I broke her. Millie's like on the floor. <laughs> Boogans, too, could be an 80s sitcom. Just saying. My two dads. My two boogans. I think we know my Photoshop skills are terrible okay i'm going to have to figure out how to make the criterion disc cover of boogans to electric boogaloo and then we have to make it and then we have to release it i will find the funding <laughs> where it's just like a family photo of trish and mark and this like baby boogan and the old guy the old guy's in the background and he's their neighbor <laughs> You can't believe they domesticated a boogan. He's like the guy from the fence in like Home Improvement. He's just like, <laughs> hey, guys, I'm here to just provide you some creepy lessons. I'm just a, a, a former Wibcom who's now oh, a nice god. folksy neighbor. Oh, my God. I truly have nothing to say about the rest of this film. That's it. <laughs> like, I, that, is it, that is the end. 
of this of my section. You just you just gotta watch it. You just gotta watch it. Oh Holy my shit. god! I have not laughed that hard <laughs> since Dante's Peak. I. I'm, I'm, that's it for me. The sizzling legs. Well, we're, I'm so glad you brought this movie to the pod because it was a necessary viewing and it is so funny and weird. And it's one of those movies that like, again, this is the kind of thing you used to excel at with underground is just showing us the weirder underbelly of film life. <laughs> well, and it is also interesting too about the types of like, you know, when you watch science fiction or horror movies after a very, very long stretch of time and just being like, wow, like maybe this is not what I thought. I mean, with Tremors, with your film, obviously I loved it even more, I think, than I did in childhood. Yeah. Boogans was like, oh, well, you know, maybe now, like, there's a l- I need a little bit more from this. But I also think it is like an enjoyable film. Even the first like, hour and some change where nothing happens you see not a boogan in sight but the first hour they do a good job of building the suspense of like when am i going to see a boogan right exactly and then when it actually happens you're like exploding in ecstasy which i guess is a fun way to watch a film not gonna lie (laughs) oh god it was excellent excellent listen i just love summer I, we have so much fun on these episodes. And if Me you too. want to email us for any reason, please do so at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And we have social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at I saw pod on both. Yes. And you know, we got merch. Please go to the I saw what you did section of the exactly right shop to find it. And our bonus episodes are free now. They are no longer behind a paywall. New ones come out the third Thursday of every month and old episodes are trickling out constantly. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Danielle. Oof. It's going to be a fun one next week. Why don't you tell them what the movies are? I cannot wait because next month, we are doing a month long theme for the first time. Woo! And I feel like we could just tell you what the theme is. All right. Okay. Do it. Do it. Because we're not going to make you guess because it's going to be the same theme all month. And we are doing hot movies. Hot, hot, hot movies. For all of August. Starting with next week, Hot Fuzz from 2007 and Hot Shots from 1991. Sizzlin' for the summer. I can't wait. I can actually, I'm so excited to be doing a theme that's longer than a week, you know, we've done it. We've done it a couple weeks. You know, we do black history month and that kind of stuff, but it's like, this is a a one theme that unites movies over the course of, I think it's going to be at least four, six weeks, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Five weeks. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay. Listen, Danielle, you crazy bitch. I love you so much. It is a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. I love you too. Don't get et up by anything from underneath. Check those grates. Check those toilets. Check that sand. <laughs> Don't get et up. See you next week. <laughs> this has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Casey O'Brien. Mixed by Edson Choi. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogle. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at I Saw Pod. And you can email us at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.